Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Megan Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to people. Hey, everybody. We are cranking our way through succession. This has been a lot of fun. We are in episode six of ep- uh, season one. This one's titled, Which Side Are You On? Spencer, have you ever heard the phrase, it's moving day? I have heard the phrase, it's moving day. And that feels rather, you know, appropriate for this episode, don't you think? It is moving day. Very high drama episode, big implications for the rest of the season and beyond for the show. Um, because I do it every episode, even though you guys don't do it, um, you want to plug Mangum Reads? We will plug Mangum Reads. Uh, as per usual, we're proceeding through pottering around and having another blast with it. We did a Christmas episode of Harry Potter recently, which was a lot of fun. I liked it better than... Uh, I was kind of surprised to discover that reading Quidditch was not exactly that exciting, but no. it did make for good radio. Doesn't make a lot of sense, really. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that kind of reading someone else's commentary about something that they're watching, particularly a live sporting event, is not necessarily high entertainment. But the show itself has been a blast. We're having a lot of fun going through each chapter, and we're continuing on. In terms of our short story content, we read an odd one, uh, Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers, which I'd never heard of before, but made for a wonderful spin on the modern vampire literature, as well as about... I think we, we came to about 14 or 15 other possible themes that the author's going with. It was a fun thing to talk about for two hours for about what made for a 20-page short story, but that's just what we do. So, join us and listen yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, have you guys addressed um, how J.K. Rowling just keeps rewriting Harry Potter through, like, interviews and her Pottermore website? It, this isn't the category of things that I'm vaguely aware of because I have an internet presence, despite not knowing anything about Harry Potter. Apparently, she's being labeled the George Lucas of the modern age with respect to her just constant desire to rewrite and expand the mythos by undesired means. Oh, my God. Yeah, Hermione's black, Dumbledore's gay. Like, she's all over the place with this shit. I'm just going to read the books and be content with that because I'm finding the books delightfully charming and I'm going to ignore anything else that's out there until I'm being made to read it. Yeah, which at this rate, they may make you. Um. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I figured it'd be about at a one chapter a week rate, something like 10 years down the line. We'll get there. Yeah, and our other pod, Whiskey on the Weekends, every Friday, we drink whiskey, we talk about things. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and you discovered certain issues about my shirt preferences that probably didn't need to be discussed on live radio, but I think they amused you. We're a few weeks away from that being released, but it, <laughs> it, it, they will remember. <laughs> they will remember this because it certainly does come up. Spencer's shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, let's jump into Succession Episode 6. Which side are you on? We'll do a recap. We've developed some segments. We've got three segments. We're up to three segments, Spencer. We said we weren't going to do segments. This is the three, three Drink Minimum Podcast. These things just happen. It it speeds along. It develops naturally. All right. First segment we have is Roman line of the episode. Then we have Roy of the episode. And then when we debuted last week by accident, Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. <laughs> okay. That one's going to be more of a random thing just based on certain things that occur to me. I can't guarantee that'll be a every episode thing. <laughs> but as I mentioned, this is our three drink minimum podcast. Spencer, do you have your three drinks? I have uh, whiskey. And again, I have, I've been purposely not consuming all of each of the bottles of the whiskey that BJ sent last time. So I've got enough of a little taste of four different bottles still to enjoy. Nice. And I have got, it's a treat for me after a tough week at work. It's Glenn Farkless. It's a 12-year-old a Highland single malt scotch whiskey. Mm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it is very, very good. Well, you know, after a hard day, I'm starting to learn that a quality class drink can just, it can take the edge off, as they say. You know what yeah. also can help? A what? wonderful recap of an episode of Succession. 
And we jump into said recap right now. Kendall and Stewie are backstage at a concert. Um, uh, and this, this, go ahead. Did this go on for like 10 minutes or something? I lost track. I literally think it's a minute and a half, but it felt longer. <laughs> it's tough, man. This performer comes by clearly like a hip hop artist. Um, Levi didn't say that cause he's black. Uh, you can hear the music in the background. Plus he's got chains. Mm. Um, this guy's not a country music artist. Mm, mm-hmm. um, Stewie gives him some love. And uh, <laughs> Kendall drops this. Like, this has got to be up there on the big board of Kendall douche comments here. You're fucking Imperial right now. I think American Diablo is your best album. You're fucking Imperial right now. Is that a phrase? Is no. That, is that something people say? I mean, I... I I've never heard that before. I've never even pondered hearing that before. But that's that just that's that's our Kindle line of the episode right there. This guy doesn't seem remotely interested in Kindle or Stewie for good good cause. Uh, Stewie seems put off at the guy didn't spend more time with them. Um, the lady says some lady handler or somebody works for the label or something says he's decompressing. Um, and Kindle just turns on a dime like this guy's such a snake because then he goes he's decompressing what from his voyage to the bottom of the rap ocean that was a shit show you just said he was fucking imperial right now yeah douche kindle on full display here uh, apparently the label got them a room in mm. the back and stewie tells the lady to remind the guy that kindle is like this guy's boss like four levels up which i'm sure is true yeah the joys of being a conglomerate owner they have their, they have their tendrils and everything i'm sure they get in the back room and Stewie is unimpressed with the shrimp and the goo that is being served. Now, these guys are douches. Yes. But that shrimp looked terrible. The shrimp looked like it was goo itself. I wasn't sure if he was referring to them as by the same term. But then he eats one. What's well, wrong with this guy? He's a maniac. This guy is Stewie. This I'm not entirely sure what Stewie's capable of, but I don't think I'll ever be surprised by it. I have a theory about Stewie. Oh, go on. I believe Stewie is a compulsive eater. Um, Evidence. He ate the shrimp with the goo. <laughs> okay. Second, do you remember when he was talking to Kendall and Kendall was trying to get, he was trying to figure out like what to do about this massive loan for the company and Stewie eventually pitches, well, I can jump in and help. And you notice that Stewie had like a, I think it was a cookie and wanted another one so bad that he actually went behind the counter to grab it to eat it. Yeah. He just, you know, shoplifted a cookie and just walked away. <laughs> Compulsive eater Stewie. That's my, that's my theory. Well, the cocaine may help with that. <laughs> Kendall says he's got something to talk to him about and Stewie says what is it you fucked the company <laughs> Kendall haven't fucked the company Scientology what is it <laughs> so funny <laughs> uh, he says look we're friends we go back I can trust you right no sure. well sure but on money stuff I can trust you no because <laughs> we're calling for a vote of no confidence <laughs> in my dad Stewie <laughs> does not like this you're fucking with my money man Stewie asks if he thinks he can win um and he says, look, I, I have to work with whoever's left. Kendall asks if he can count on Stewie's vote. Great line here from Stewie. I can promise you that I'm spiritually and emotionally and ethically and morally behind whoever wins. <laughs> and I really enjoy that at no point that we've seen Stewie so far has he ever actually lied to Kendall. He's always very upfront about the fact that, no, I do not have your best interests at part. I have my interests at heart. And I'm going to act in that in that way. And, and I think he does it because he knows that Kendall has so few friends that he kind of hears what he wants to hear. Yeah, and that's apparent for both Kendall and Roman in this episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we cut the credits. Uh, yeah, Kendall really terrible at figuring out who his friends are. I mean, um, th- yeah. 
throughout this episode, both Kendall and Rowan are going to represent that they got their two guys on their side. And I in no way understand how they interpreted what they were told in that way. I know, because nope, they don't really get lied to. Anyway, we can get to it, but yeah. Uh, these guys are fucking morons. Um, cut to Logan on an airplane. Logan in peak form here. I'm going to call this a 9.5 out of 10 Logan. Uh, he's fussing with his phone, I think, and Marcia says, what's wrong? And he just jumps right to the... He, he doesn't pretend like it's his phone that's the problem. This is the thing. Logan, introspective guy. He understands he's only mad at the phone because he's already mad about something else. And he drops it on Marcia. He says, I'm pissed because I have to come down to him like a fucking FedEx guy. Why can't he come to us? Well, Marsha, gamely. Uh, well, well, I guess because he's the president. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Logan's response to that line. Uh, fucking Californian drunken little raisin. I've seen 10 of them. He's basically a fucking intern. <laughs> he's only president and intern. And from his perspective, it's true. He's got continuity in the way the president, the office of the president could never hope for. God, it's really, really funny. Um, how, and like, he is like aggressively dismissive of the pre- office of the presidency here. Oh, yeah. He turns to Carl, again, still peak Logan, who is accompanying him on the trip, and he asks if he's okay with this. And he goes, no, no, like the law. Uh, and he's like, yeah, Jerry's briefed me and whatever. And then Logan flatly says, I wish Jerry were here and not you. <laughs> and then it's just a, it's a demonstration of just how powerful you are, where you can say something like that, which is just plain mean, and you're powerful enough that the person you just said this to their face to has to laugh at it. And thank you for it. She says, well, thank you. She has to stay in the city for board meeting prep. It was a joke, Carl. No, it's not a joke. Not Not, at all. Not even a little bit of a joke. Uh, Meanwhile, the coup is being planned in a diner. Roman just, I mean, he's just awful to this waitress. I'm guessing if I say a cortada with almond, you're going to look at me like I'm some kind of jerk, right? I will have a black coffee, please, and thank you. Such a douche. Such an asshole for no good reason. Do you know what a cortada is? Uh, no, I've never heard that word before. I refuse to look it up. A cortada? No, I'm not doing it. I, I'm, I'm actually repressing my desire to Google this because I want to thwart Roman right now. There is another food item I Google later in this episode that we will talk about that I'm excited <laughs> to talk about with you. I, uh, look. I, I do enjoy that the rich people idea of where a conspiracy needs to take place is basically the equivalent of a Denny's because they figure that no one they know will be there. No one important is in the Denny's. Well, it's, it's kind of in, in their world, quote, important. I mean, it's not bad logic. Yeah. Kendall comes in Mm -hmm. and they ask how it went with Stewie. Kendall says, great. Stewie is in. This is the first one uh, of the two examples you talked about where he just completely misread it. Stewie basically just said, I'm not going to pick a side. I have to pick whoever. I have to be with whoever wins, right? Yeah. Stewie explicitly just said, I am in. I'm in favor of you if you're already going to win. He's useless to your numbers, Kendall. All right. Frank asked to go over the count again. Now, I'm going to do this multiple times this episode. I'm going to try to get a handle on the count. Mm-hmm. It fluctuates. I'm not sure it's consistent in the final scene. Hopefully, you can you can tell me. But right now, they count them up. Four. Four is for the motion of um, a voter no confidence. we got Kendall, Roman, Frank, and maybe Asha. They think Asha. Mm-hmm. Against, they've got Paul, uh, Dewey, uh, and Datu. I guess Dewey and Datu are two old guards. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring up Uncle Ewan. Don't really know what to do with him. And Jerry, getting greedy here, ask if Kendall could stroke the old resentments to get Ewan to vote for uh, could vote for 
uh, Roman, potential Roman line of the episode. Pretty good one. Lady Macbeth getting your little fucking screwdriver in. Uh, I'll tell you now, that's my line of the episode. Because it's a, it's a very actually appropriate line. Most of our favorite lines from Roman are just random, weird thoughts that come out of his head. This one is actually a nice reference he does. It's good. And uh, and she comes back, though, fires back with, it's not a teddy bear's picnic, Roman. It's a fucking massacre. When she gets fired up, she is really funny. Yeah, she's, man, can she and Roman are really kind of two peas in a pod. She's just a lot smarter and more capable than he is. But they have a very similar sense of humor in talking when they're speaking freely. Uh, Lawrence? Kendall says, Lawrence should vote for me because, you know, Dad would sell him for parts. And Roman says, yeah, that's true, but he hates you. Yeah. So the vote right now, as they have it, they think, uh, is five to three. Because in the, in the four, so the, the four that they have that are for the motion, Kendall, Roman, Frank, and Asher, they are adding Stewie. They think, yes. And they're entertaining the idea that Lawrence would be in favor of them, but is currently uncommitted. Yeah. So in, in three unknowns, with uh, one includes Uncle Ewan. And Roman seems to think they have it wrapped up. But Jerry points out Lawrence, Ewan, Alona, all in play. Kendall agrees, all right, the one we go after here is Lawrence. Which, again, he just has... Just the worst instincts. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought for Lawrence, of where Lawrence has already indicated to you that he intends to end you, that he views himself as the fox in the hen house and you as just a chicken waiting to be eaten. So, taking that into account, he may be right that Lawrence probably sees greater potential for advancement or just outright culling if Kendall was in charge, because Logan will not allow him to do shit, I'm sure. But... How on earth could you ever expect to trust Lawrence with anything? How could you ever count on this guy to watch your back and vote how he tells you? I Kendall, don't understand Kendall, at all. Kendall, I believe, thinks that he is fundamentally good and he has a hard time believing that people would actually hate him. Because it seems to like he every bit of evidence he has about Lawrence says that Lawrence hates him. And he still thinks he's the right guy to go talk to him. So obviously he's not internalized the fact that somebody can't hate him. And I'm going to criticize uh, Kendall a lot over the course of this episode, but I just want to say now, I was actually, by the end of this, really impressed with Kendall. He tried damn hard this episode. He worked well in a lot of ways, and he deserves credit for that. Of course he fails, but fate is conspiring against this man at all times. Whoa, spoilers. Presumably our audience has watched it as much as we have. Cut to Tom and Shiv. Great, great scene here. So Tom is getting some sort of coded news which Spencer, this is so hilarious for Bank of Talks TV. <laughs> what is the metaphor that he, the guy uses? Yeah. Nuclear reactor is sealed. The infected, infected have been shot. We have de- we've we've now effectively done episodes four and five, uh, three and four of Chernobyl. Well done, succession. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Tom has his happy voice going. Uh, Shiv is watching her candidate who was given the Bernie line. Uh, I don't know if you caught that about the three richest people in the country owning like half the wealth or something, or maybe that's Warren. I don't know. I'm getting a mix. <laughs> I think they confuse themselves at times. Tom tells her that his problem is gone. She clarifies it's the one I don't want to know about. Tom says, yes, it's like a 900 pound gorilla has finally stopped fucking me. Um, he explained that Greg is also good. He's good. Yeah. Greg's fine. He's my little R2 unit. <laughs> Spencer. <laughs> I got to pause the podcast right here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In one scene, we just got a metaphor about a nuclear reactor, Mm -hmm. a Star Wars reference, and a gorilla reference. Yeah. Spencer, Uh, serious question here for you. Do I write this show? 
Uh, you know, I'm really starting to be concerned that you've been lying to me this entire time about what you do for a living. Because that moment right there was like the Facebook advertisement of TV for me. Uh-huh. Pretty much. It's yeah. like this person has been watch they've been watching what I Google and where I go, and they've put it into a TV show just to suck me in. Now you you know the audience this show has. Upon them realizing that you were watching, they probably had the time to custom tailor it for you. Because, you know, you're about one of the ten that was watching at this point. That's true. I am an OG for this show, but they're they're, get, they're getting up there. They're getting up there. Enough for a season three, anyway. Anyway, all my favorite shit there in one episode. Now, th- this is the, I think, at least second Star Wars reference we've gotten out of Tom. We're clearly getting signs he's a big fan. Tom, Tom's a big Star Wars fan. Shiv's angry because she doesn't know if she should continue supporting her candidate. Tom brings up the wedding menu. Shiv is not paying attention and says, I know one thing. People don't change. Whoa. Whoa. Because she's talking about her candidate there, but boy, is she on the nose for herself. Very yeah. relevant for this episode, too, by the way. Very relevant for this episode, and this is a painful moment between these two, because they're both wanting to have two completely different conversations, and while Tom's willing to listen to hers, Shiv could not give a fuck about what he's talking about at this moment, which is their wedding! I know, dude. He says, well, how about we do old New York classy food, which actually sounded really cool to me, like big New York steaks at a, at a wedding, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be fun. Shiv absentmindedly said, well, I had a bad conversation with mom. And I agreed to have the wedding in England. (laughs) World's worst girlfriend ever. And credit to Tom, this is one that actually gets him to say, you did what? And he really, he startled and really challenges her on this to the point that even she has to, to best best she's emotionally capable of, backtrack a bit. Yeah, but not really though. Because she says it's just a wedding and the planners will figure it out. I mean, this is a, there's another segment, the this fucking family segment. The, it's just a wedding and the planners will figure it out. Like, what the fuck? Um, Tom points out the wedding only happened once. Will only happen once. That's what you think, Tom. And Shib shuts him down. She does. She's like, I can't deal with this right now. And you notice that as soon as Shib kind of cuts to like being angry or frustrated, like Tom relents immediately. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Tom immediately stops, but again, she does offer the slightest equivalent of the olive branch. It's meant to essentially trick him and give him false hope, but she says, essentially, I mean, the wedding might be in England, but it might not. It's like, that is a Trump way of responding to this issue right now. Yeah, not good. Uh, But I will point out, by the end of this exchange, Tom is apologizing to her. Yeah, yeah. He is apologizing in this conversation, despite the fact that she just arbitrarily, because she kind of sort of maybe had a fight with her mom... Solo changed what country their wedding is taking place in. Yeah, absolutely. Very weird. Um, Anything else on this scene? Uh, Did we know that their mom lived in England? It's hard for me to tell because, of course, I mean, you can, this is not a spoiler at this point. This comes up in later episodes, so I'm not sure when the first time was. Okay, well, I, I was not aware of this, but now I know. Yeah cut back to Kendall and Roman who were discussing who should approach Lawrence. Roman says he should because I know the guy. I see him at every faker's party. Phony stuff opening I go to. We're like two peas in a metrosexual think pod. Are we doing this? Are we running a company? Just because I like a joke doesn't mean I'm a clown. Good uh, line by Roman. Yeah, it's a good line by Roman. And I also kind of sort of agree that he's the better guy to do this than Kendall is. Uh, at least assuming that they are the only two that are going that are the options for doing this, because 
I honestly think Jerry would be the best. Well, but she's not in the she's not in the listed options. She also probably wouldn't do it. Well, that I mean, of course she wouldn't. But like, all we see in Lawrence is like Lawrence is like he cuts through the bullshit fast. He does, and I think Jerry would, you know, and he he probably he's a self made guy, so I'm sure he resents these two. Um, I think he'd probably like Jerry. I, that that's who I would have pushed to do it. Well, no, if you ha- if we had the options, if we had other options other than these two to do it. Anybody else that's part of their conspiracy would be better. Jerry would be better, certainly. Frank would be better at this. Pick it, throw a dart at the board that's not them, and you're finding a better option. But it's a great point, Spencer. I wasn't being exactly like insightful there. Jerry would be better than these two clowns. It'd be anybody. Oh man, the sky is blue today. You're just rocking my world, Link. Uh, yeah. Um, great point here by Roman Spencer. Um, well, it, we already addressed that. Roman points out that Lawrence hates Kendall, and Kendall says, well, he likes you. Yeah, yeah, he likes me. People like me. I look like a matador, and everybody wants to fuck me. <laughs> Kendall says, okay, that's cool. Do it. He's not wrong. People do seem to like Roman. I don't get it, but Whoa. they do seem to like him. That was almost a pause moment. I was wondering where you were going with that. He's not wrong? Whoa, what part of that sentence is he not wrong about? <laughs> There's a lot wrong here. There's a lot wrong. <laughs> I think I focused on the one point he was right on. <laughs> Okay, all right, just making sure. Back to Carl and Logan. Uh, during their conversation, it's clear that Logan is there to lobby for the president to help him get the deal for all those local TV stations that Roman and Kendall fucking hate. Mm-hmm. And I, Logan indicates, this, this is where you start to get on Ewan's side. You start to be like, whoa, Ewan might have a point here because Logan indicates that if he does it, they'll give him favorable coverage. And I love his summary line. His summary line is great because it again says that though he's been framing this as just an idea that occurred to him, he's really have planned this out and has a plan for the future. And he summarizes it, four more years were the Procter and Gamble of the news. That's an intimidating way of phrasing that. Do you want to explain the reference there? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm fully capable of it. Do you have a, you have a better handle on it? I mean, it's ba- Procter and Gamble basically have had very successful lobbyists in D.C. for a very long time. And in their market, um, they're they're basically, they basically operated as a monopoly. And yep. so my understanding is that people who are smarter than me who study this stuff use Procter & Gamble as a case study of like a monopoly that is allowed to been ex- has been allowed to exist. And this is very clearly uh, uh, Logan's plan, that he wants to be the sole source of news for basically the majority of all Americans. Why can't we do all the news? Well, Kim Jong-pop, that's not how it works in this country. Well, apparently it does when he's able to refer to the president as an intern. That's so funny. I'm using that one, by the way. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm be t- like, I'm, I'm be talking to somebody who likes the president. I don't like him. I'll be like, wait, he's only there for four years. He's a fucking glorified intern. <laughs> hey, and some of them apparently don't get paid. So yeah, definitely intern. Cut <laughs> the shib. Calling Tom to explain that she's headed to Washington and can't do dinner. God. After that conversation, yeah, she cancels dinner flippantly, and Tom seems to accept this he's like, yeah yeah okay yeah i know i get it yeah okay yeah you want to figure out if your candidate's the right one uh yeah put her under the x-ray machine <laughs> just you know your 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 and sarah's wedding was utterly gorgeous and so i don't Thank imagine you. you had a situation of where you at the very last minute went to her and said hi and you know what i know we planned on having it in let's say paris france but i'd prefer if we had it in north carolina but assuming you did do that I'm presuming you didn't then go to a different city for an overnight trip the next, the same day. Yeah, I appreciate you trying to personalize this, but it's such a boring behavior. I don't, I think we're going to struggle with it because I can't, 
I who does? Thought. I've never heard of such a thing personally of somebody just being like, oh yeah, by the way, I switched the wedding location. And I, I so don't want to talk about it that I'm going on an overnight trip somewhere else with very little explanation of where I'm going and why. I just, Spencer, when when you plan your wedding, mm-hmm. well, I won't. Um, you will, because I'm, I'm I'm adopting the Roy mindset of the planners will just handle it. Oh, big win for me right there! <laughs> Everybody, isolate that clip and play it over and over again for Spencer. Spencer, I'm planning your wedding. I can't wait to do it. It's gonna be so great. <laughs> you volunteered for this shit. I'm yeah, take that. Oh fuck yeah, I'll do it. No, no fee for me. Um, <laughs> but he walks by Greg and he way over the top waves to him. It's always so transparent. <laughs> It's so funny. It's like, oh, I need Greg to be on my side now. Oh, hi, Greg. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Jan Brady-like wave. Yeah, it's to the point that even Greg is just reading through this in a heartbeat. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. He comes in, he asks if everything is okay. Greg says, uh, Greg seems stressed. And Tom uh, says Greg can talk to him about anything. (laughs) Greg, oh, yeah, thanks. Fantastic resource. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, I think, senses the frustration, mm-hmm. explains that Shib is going to Washington, D.C., and he'd like to take Greg out. Did I cut you off there? Did you have something you were going to say? No, no, no. You're good. Um, Greg, <laughs> what? For real? I thought you were going to say, like, take you out, beat the shit out of you, or take you out and put a bullet through your dumb fucking brain. <laughs> Tom <Okay>. feigns offense. <laughs> no, Greg, I'm not some beast. He's all, He's essentially paraphrasing you, Tom. This is what you've been telling this guy for the entire time you've known him. Then Greg, who I'm not sure he has a friend in the city, gets a little bit excited all of a sudden. He's like, well, I did get paid. Um, And Greg is clearly happy with how much money he got paid. Now, we know that basically one of Logan's many personal assistants makes a million a year. We also know that Logan does throw money at family. Mm -hmm. What do you think he's paying this kid? More than he's ever seen before in his life. That's clear. I don't know what that number is. It's clearly to the point that he doesn't really even have a concept for what he's going to do with it. Like, he later in the episode just refers to himself as, like, obscenely rich. Which is clearly not the case, but for whatever background he has, whatever jobs he's worked, which we all only for references, worked as mascot at Theme Park, he's doing very well now. I can't guess what that number is, though. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably is getting paid about four hundred to four fifty thousand a year, <sighs> and so he probably got a check somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty-five to forty-five thousand. And so he he just like, I this is insane. As his first paycheck, God. Uh, <laughs> Craig gets an idea. Have you ever visited the California Pizza Kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> which is a lovely restaurant? I do actually like their food, but. No, this is not the person you want to brand, oh, present that as an option to. This is so fucking funny, Spencer, because Tom laughs in Greg's face. Uh, Greg says they make a Cajun chicken linguine, just how I like it. And Tom goes, yeah, you're not supposed to like it that way. In my notes, I have written, Spencer, it seems like this is something we would do to you. We would make you not go to the California pizza kitchen. <laughs> you, know what, you know what my notes say here? Wrote this down. I've tried the Cajun chicken linguine and I like it. What does this mean about me? <laughs> I like California Pizza Kitchen. I'm apparently the Greg now. God help me. And I knew it. I wrote it down. I was like, I could totally see us punking Spencer out of like a meal he really likes into some shit he doesn't like. Exactly what Tom is doing here. When I, when I visit you for New Year's coming up, are you going to make me eat a songbird? Are you going to do this to me now? <laughs> He will put it, put the towels over our head to shame. 
no, no, we, we're got, we still there. have to do the we still have to do the melting pot. But maybe we'll work in California Pizza Kitchen, get some of that Cajun chicken linguine. But just the way they know just how I like it. But honestly, like I, I you know that <laughs> our weird diatribe aside, I do think that this is meant to show you how tough it is to be around rich people because they're constantly telling you what you should like. Yeah, and because mm-hmm. I sorry, but honestly, this is stupid. Yeah. He, he has been broke for a while. He's got this job. He just got paid a lot. Let the man get the meal he wants. Yeah. He literally has been surviving on things that he's been pilfering from your break room. He's had no money and no way of supporting himself. And now he, actually excited that you, a person that he shouldn't like, has invited him out, wants to go somewhere. Accommodate him. But no. Tom is not Tom is not just wealthy. He's the worst kind of wealthy. He's nouveau rich. He wants to show off to the world how wealthy he is now. He can't think of in any way letting his hair down because the the, the image is now everything to him. Whew. Take down a Tom there. I agree 100%. Um, yeah, I think Craig should be allowed to go get his Cajun chicken linguine. I, I, he needs a good night. Tom says he's going to take him out and show him how to be rich. To your point, everything's about being rich. Yeah. This, this is... We now... This episode really clearly establishes perhaps why Tom puts up with what his situation is with Shiv. Besides the fact that it's just his personality and the nature of the relationship is that she is his gateway to everything he wants. And what that is being rich. Yep. Logan is being ex- escorted through the White House. Some aide says something like, well, it's just up here. Logan. So condescending. I have been here before and I know how hallways work. <laughs> <laughs> Lackey comes out and explains the president is now busy. He's dealing with a matter of homeland security. The guy says the president will have to show him an alternative face for the discussion. Now, that is a really douchey way to say you can talk to somebody else. Yeah, that is. That's tough. And that's also this is also clearly saying that this guy has never had to deal with Logan before because anyone that's met him more than once would know that's not the way you want to present this. Terrible idea, Logan. Alternative face. What does that mean? I drop my pants. I'll show you an alternative face. Um, Logan is then angrily walking back to the plane, screaming into his cell phone, asking if he's been snubbed. That's a big thing for him. Even the president. No one can snub him. Do we interpret this that he just walked out rather than meet with the alternative face? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so, because I think that gets kind of proven out uh, toward the end of the episode. Yeah. And... At this point, we do kind of think the president is stubbing him. What we don't necessarily understand at this point is, no, there is a serious Homeland Security scare that's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Tom is walking uh, by Kendall's office, and Roman is in there. And he's got a black eye. He's had it for a couple scenes here, but this first time actually comes up. Roman asks about it, and Tom says, you should see the other guy. (laughs) Uh, Roman responds, "Eh, the guy who shoved his dick in your eye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was such a dick. Uh, Tom then goes on to explain that this was some sort of sexual injury. Um, weird thing to cop to here to her two brothers. Kendall was a little confused and asked a question, a question that he probably uh, regretted later. He says, what, she punched you? And Tom explains that things just got freaky deaky. And Roman, <laughs> blood in the water. Runs says, oh, on this. Oh, you fucking our sister? <laughs> And Kendall, like, kind of just now figuring out the conversation he is, says, yeah, you know what? It is weird to talk about. <laughs> Roman says, no, I think it's, like, really cool. Like, uh, what, 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 what's it like to bang our sister? And this goes on for a minute. <laughs> Spencer, I am sl- You know how much I like Roman. Favorite mm-hmm. character, except for my main man, Greg. 
Um, I'm slightly concerned that like 25% of him wants an actual answer here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's really good at doing a poker face, but I'm agreeing. I think 25% of him would not mind if Tom answered this question right now. Yeah. He's just interested. Tom asks what's going on. Uh, and Kendall says some really vague shit to Tom, but basically tells him, look, you're on team Kendall. You're my guy. Things are going to go down, but I got you. And do we know at this point that Tom knows? No, I don't think Tom knows. Well, no, actually, we, we actually know he doesn't know because when he finds out, he freaks. I'm not sure because we'll get to that in that scene. But at this point, we've not provided any evidence that Tom knows the, a thing about this conspiracy. But we'll no, get to no. the scene we're talking about here in a minute. Hey, I don't think he does. Kendall's out with Lawrence and... Uh, not Kendall. Um, Roman is out with Lawrence and his date. So this is the first time we find out that Roman is gay, I think. Uh, that Lawrence is gay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sorry, sorry. I'm all over the place. Uh, Roman is out with Lawrence and his date. This is when Roman is trying to convince Lauren, as we talked about, um, to back the vote of no confidence. But anyway, we find out we, that Lauren's there with his, his date, who's a male. Well, maybe date date or partner, not sure. We did see this guy in bed with him when Kendall called him randomly at night to basically threaten him. So we have seen him before. Oh, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, just, no, okay, so this is not a, this scene is not a surprise here. Um, but Roman goes right into it. He says, what would I say if I told you there was going to be a vote of no confidence? Kick out the old guard, in with the new. Romy and the homie. And if you think... <laughs> Spencer, if you think for one minute you're not going to have a t-shirt at some point, this is Romy and the homie on it. You are sadly mistaken, my friend. Uh, you've already replaced like half of my t-shirts with various t-shirts that you have gotten me for various things that I wear around that I now have to explain to people as I'm walking around the street or my office. So, Romy and my homie, my, well, I'm happy to add it to the list. That one's going to require maybe even more explanation. Oh yeah, you're getting a Romy and the homie shirt. Uh, Lawrence clarifies, wait a second, you're thinking of killing your dad? <laughs> That's a little Greek tragedy. The date speaks up. Yeah, Oedipus. Well, did I say I was going to fuck Marcia? Although I definitely would because she's hot. But that's like phase two. <laughs> I enjoy that Roman actually apparently low-key knows Shakespeare. And knows yeah, he Greek does. I mean, yeah, sure. He's actually read. Well, I'm sure they put him through private school and made him go to an Ivy League college. Like, I mean, you know, you know how rich people do. I mean, they kind of force feed you. Yeah, I mean, that or they pay people to pretend that you're like on the volleyball team or some shit. Topical, yes. Yes, look at me. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's, he's a well-educated idiot. I love that he, he, says, he just kind of sputters out. Well, I, I definitely would because she's hot. <laughs> and again, we're very clearly having it laid out that, okay, well, again, we were, had two options, but didn't seem like we had two good options for presenting this to Lawrence because no, this Lawrence isn't the way to do it. He's not taking it well, but the conversation does go south. But first, Shib meets with the guy she met with in the hotel room. Yeah, this plays out for a while. Honestly, my least favorite part of the season is these two. I, I don't, I just don't care. Um, but I mean, I think if they're just trying to drive home the point that Shib's kind of a shithead. But like, I already got that. I don't, I don't need these two. And I don't care which campaign she worked for. Can we get that out of there? Well, okay. sh should we just explain all of these scenes now then and just get them off the what page quick? I don't, I don't mind, you know, describing them the next minute and being done. Uh, I got a couple quotes I want to talk about. Though. Oh, okay, okay. So Pre I, present I them as you will. They have some awkward banter. The guy con 
congratulates congratulates Shib on Senator Miller, which is the lady whose um, you know uh, husband posted the picture. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This is not exactly a fucking Southern strategy, getting a bunch of Jews, blacks, and media strategy professors to vote for a Democrat in New York State. But still, now <laughs> why do I like this joke? Reminds me of Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. And he made like a reference. coalition. And you, you <laughs> made. <laughs> You made a reference earlier to uh, the politics of this particular candidate. This may be a bit of a stand-in. Yeah, just put Ma- Massachusetts instead of uh, <laughs> instead of New York, and I think you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go back and forth in the candidates. Shib explains she did a great job and drinks to herself. Uh, that's a that's a move. I like that move though. I don't like Shib, but I like that move. Uh, qu- question uh, that I was a little bit confused about, and I think maybe even the characters were a little bit confused about, or had different options. What is Shiv's objective with this conversation and what follows in terms of her candidate or his candidate? What is she actually going for here? I, I honestly don't think she knows. And I think that's why she was so flummoxed when Greg was trying to talk about where the hell they were going to have their wedding. Uh, and uh, I think Tom. she's just kind of, yeah, she's just trying to feel it out. Like, oh, Tom, Tom, yeah. <laughs> she's just trying to feel it out. I know out, he's man. your favorite character. I know you want to pair him with everybody look, on the show. Me but... these, look, I got my script. You ask me these questions, it fucks me up. Um, <laughs> Sorry, go yeah. ahead, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that she's just trying to figure it out. I don't think she knows. Um, and she's, I, for whatever reason, whatever history, she does seem to trust this guy and like the banter and like being around him. So I think I think her whole point in going to D.C. was to talk to him and not, not to talk to her candidate or Gil or anybody else. It was to talk to this guy. I agree. I think she's meeting with him because she he is actually a person that she views as more of an equal, a more of a person that she can actually bounce ideas off and respond to her and actually banter and talk with her on a level playing field. And so she wants to be able to talk with him to sort out her own head. She's framing this still as come join us because she knows he's going to respond back with no, come join me. And then they can debate it. So that's why I think she's here. Yeah, I agree. We cut to Greg. He is out with Ewan. Um, and Ewan is still in town. We this, did not know that for sure until this scene. This surprised me. I was kind of caught off guard by this, that, that, that Ewan was still here and apparently... What kind of restaurant are they at? I, so we had a reference last episode when Ewan is at Thanksgiving and he's barking at Logan about how shitty his TV channels are. And he says, uh, they're on at the place I go get noodles. <laughs> so he seems to be in some sort of either Chinese maybe I think a Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. and he's having a noodle dish I don't know what the dish is um, but but it actually looks pretty cool because you have a plate of noodles and a broth that you kind of keep adding which would be neat because it kind of keeps the, the dish warm I would think yeah and it looks interesting it looks like something I want to try it also looks like that Greg finds this utterly unappetizing a little hard to tell because I think he knows he's got second dinner coming Oh, so he's just been trying to be polite and avoid filling himself up now because he knows that he's going to probably eat more later? Yeah, I think so. I think he's trying okay. to plan ahead. Uh, but, he, you know, Ewan isn't having it. He pushes him to eat. Uh, he's like, yeah, your mom says you're broke. And Greg's like, well, actually, I'm I'm now rich. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I know you want to brag because you're legitimately happy for yourself, Greg, and kudos to you. Ewan's not the guy that's going to be receptive to that. No, not at all. Um, and he says, well, you know what your mother said to make you eat, so eat. Mm-hmm. Again, Greg pushes back. You know, I, I don't know. I think my, what do you say? I think my stomach shrunk during my period, period of, of poverty. poverty. I like that line. <laughs> uh, and then Ewan goes in and says, look, the city wastes too much food as it is. Eat it. You have to finish. Mm-hmm. 
Greg finally gets to the real talk and he's like, why, why are you why are you still in town? So what, what's going on? And Ewan actually just boldly tells him about the vote of no confidence. But he tells him with a put down. Because I love, love how he starts this. Is that, well, you're a grown up, allegedly. So here's what grown ups do. He has to include oh, yeah. a put down even when he's giving you an olive branch. Yeah, Ewan, I mean, I, I think I might like his politics, but man, bad hang. Real he, bad hang. Definition of cantankerous, this man right here. But as he said, he te- just openly tells him what's about to happen. He does. He tells him. And Greg doesn't get the levity of the situation, obviously. I mean, how could he? He doesn't know. Uh, he's like, what is it? This is like a procedural thing? <laughs> no, 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 Greg. A vote of no confidence is not a procedural thing. Um, and then we get what Ewan is actually thinking about this vote, what we suspected since his conversation with Kendall when he was leaving Thanksgiving dinner and then abruptly turned around to get his walking stick. He calls it an act, or an egregious act of wanton selfishness. Mm-hmm. So... This is something that Kendall, Roman, the whole gang, the whole four gang, they don't know that Ewan actually really doesn't like that this vote is occurring. No. Even the follow-up line's lovely. He says, in keeping with everything else, I've come to loathe about this rat's nest of a family. Um, I don't think they fully get how much he disdains them and how much of a threat that is to what they want to do. So that birthday card from Logan's not doing the trick? No. No, I don't. I also don't imagine that Logan even signed the card. I'm picturing that Marsha picked those out. But, you know, thought that counts. Uh, what I like, too, is that Greg, keeping with Greg, Greg loves to ask family members how he should interpret this. He asks, straight up asks him, are you going to tell Logan? And Ewan's willfully ambiguous in his reply. Yeah, he says, what, I'm going to I'm gonna keep my nose out of the pig trough or something? Like yeah, that? keep my snout out of the trough. He's really keeping to the metaphor of just the, 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 the utter despicableness of this family. But then he gives Greg a little bit of advice of where he says, again ambiguously, my advice to you, paddle your own canoe. How do we interpret that? He's basically just saying, pick your own path and take it. Don't ask me to give you one. Oh, no, no. I think he's saying, don't let this family give you one. Oh, okay. And gotcha. I think that... Grandpa Ewan would be really, really impressed with this one goes away, the other stays a day. Oh, he'd be... If Greg was actually willing to tell him about this, I think this would be the one moment we've seen yet of where he's legitimately proud of his his grandnephew. I actually think that you could have... Well, it's tough. You could have done that scene, but then I just don't know what Ewan would have done with the information about what the cruise line did. But, like... I think you could have done that scene. It would have been really good because you could have had Greg drop that, you know, in his sort of sputtering way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would just give him a, like a, a little quirky smile. Yeah. Not not a full uh, con- con- congratulation or an appropriate Ber- uh, Bernard Russell quote. But, you know, a, a moment of bonding between the two. Bertrand uh- Russell. That's right. Because Ewan is still in sophomore philosophy. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, he is. So can I sidebar for a second? Please. So I watch a lot more TV than you do because you work harder than I do. But one of the things I like to do is um, I've gone full millennial and I just watch YouTube clips on my TV. And I like to watch like late night talk shows, especially about like, you know, with political candidates or actors that I like. And a couple months ago for Succession season two, they were doing the rounds, uh, the actors. And the guy who plays Greg was on Stephen Colbert. Hmm. And it was his first time ever doing a late night talk show. I think it might've been his first like actual interview on like national television ever. Hmm. And Spencer, I don't, this kid is either the best actor in the world 
or whoever casted him is the best casting director in the world because he was exactly like Greg. He sputtered. He fumbled through the interview. Colbert had to lead him. He at one point picked up his cards and waved it on him to try to relax him. The audience was just nervously <laughs> laughing as this fucking kid just absolutely bombed this interview. I, I urge everybody to go watch it. You, It's like seven minutes. You're going to want to turn it off after about three and a half. Maybe he's just really method. I know. I know. I think it's so great. I mean, I imagine just like whoever the casting director is, like like saw the kid, he bombed, you know, the the um, you know actual tryout, and then later like the kid was fumbling with like how to get a coffee or something. Like, oh, perfect. <laughs> He's naturally awkward. This is going to work out well. Yeah. Our, let's see. Our notes for this character said incredibly awkward, somewhat weird, very tall. Hey, look over there. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was really funny, and it, you know, it threw Colbert off because two nights later he was doing an interview with the guy who plays Logan, Brian Field, I think. Uh, Brian Cox. Brian Cox, and um, what was so funny is uh, he explained to the guys like the kid who plays Greg was here. He seems a lot like his character, and Brian Cox just laughed. He's like, "Yeah, he is." <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine Brian Cox delivered a much better interview from what I've seen him in before. Way better. But anyway, that diatribe. But every time now I look at the, the Greg character, I'm like, wow, that might just be who that guy is. Did they give him lines or did they just, you know, let him work off the characters he's with? Yeah, who knows? He's, it's all improv for him. It's like curb your enthusiasm. Oh, God. <laughs> Cut to Kendall. He's working. Marsha calls him and says, why don't you come have dinner with your dad? Because she's going to be out. Something she can't miss. Mm-hmm. This weirds out Kendall. Um... <laughs> nice little detail here. She says, I've left some steamed fish. Mm, okay. Um, Greg is out with Tom. And uh, uh, you can go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else there. I mean, I think that the, the thing there is like, you know, you're looking at that like, does she know? Is this right. some sort of play? We're feeling we're feeling Kindle's paranoia in this moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now Greg is out with Tom. Greg is not hungry. He's had to eat all the noodles because of the waste in New York City. Tom explains that they are at a pop-up, the most exclusive pop-up in New York City, getting a full tasting menu. Spencer, do you know what a pop-up is? I do not want to know what a pop-up is. I hoped you would. <laughs> All right. A pop-up is when you have, uh, in the food space, it's like an entrepreneur, somebody who's like a really good chef or mm -hmm. makes something really good, but doesn't actually have a brick-and-mortar space of their own. So they will rent a place, or oftentimes it's donated because they're like, you know, high profile, and they will do a, quote, pop-up restaurant for, let's say, three, four nights. The nature of it, you know, how how limited the amount of people who can get fed at these pop-ups makes it super exclusive. So sure. in these in these cities, you know, that they want the pop-up because like, well, anybody can go to this restaurant that's been there for ten years. But I got the I got the dinner from Chef Whatever that was only there for forty eight hours or whatever. Can you give me an idea of what the price point would be for the two of them to be there eating their three course meal with wine? Because I don't think I've got a concept of it. Hey, buddy. Yeah, the dog has the, to make an appearance. The dog is there. Hey, the dog you don't like. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you an estimate here. I don't know for sure. Obviously, I, I don't go to these types of restaurants, but I do I do like food, uh, and I do follow these things um, a little bit. I would say they probably paid with the wine, I don't know, over $1,000 a piece. <sighs> I think that's in the realm, especially with one of the things they eat, which we're about to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, this is just a realm of eating that I have no concept of. I have never any... I've not walked on the same street where these things are appearing. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been to some expensive dinners. I've never been to anything over $1,000, but I've been to some expensive ones, and this, I think, is probably well, well, well over anything I've done. Well, tell me, uh, when you had their monkfish, did it make you want to shit, puke, and cum all at the same time? I I would not use that. (laughs) I would not. No, but I have had a... I have had a stomach bug that did the same thing. <laughs> God, Tom is just the worst. Yeah, I, I, I've been sick and, and had that feeling. Mm. Uh, Greg asked why the wine doesn't have prices next to it. Tom says because they're obscene. This is kind of like the rich person version of like the gas station that doesn't have the prices out front. I don't know if you ever experienced this, yeah. Spencer. And you're always like, oh, nope. I just go right by that Exxon. I'm nope. like, I'm not going in that Exxon. That's oh. 20 cents higher. I'm not going into this blind. You've already indicated that the fact you're not advertising this, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, Tom then goes into this diatribe, which gets to your point earlier. He just likes being rich. So he tells Greg, look, being rich is really great. Um, And I believe that he believes that. I think that's why he's willing to deal with the world's worst girlfriendship. Yeah. I mean, his description of it just really paints. This is his dream. This is what he's aspired to. This is his concept of perfection. He, He calls himself a superhero. You get to do what you want. The authorities can't really touch you. You get to wear a costume, but it's designed by Armani. It doesn't make you look like a prick. <laughs> Tom has just painted this as the most incredible thing ever. Yeah. Cut to the dinner with Roman and Lawrence. Lawrence cuts through the bullshit. He says, well, what's your vision? Roman's like, well, it's me and Kendall. He says, no, fuck Kendall. What is your vision? This is dangerous. This is... um. I don't know, man. Like, do you ever have like times where you're out socially and you got a friend and you know their weakness mm-hmm. and someone asks them a question and you're like, uh oh, uh oh, this <laughs> yeah. isn't going to be good. I had this moment with Roman. I'm like, oh no, no, Roman's not meant for this type of pitch. No, but he does it kind of well. Not at does first. He? Not at first. He bombs well, it at first. <laughs> so here's what he says. I got the full quote. Go on. <laughs> I, uh, what do you say? I was at the library the other day and I started laughing. I was looking at all the books, cramming up all the walls, and I just thought, you know about the olden days, all the fucking monasteries and Bibles and the sermons and the, did Jesus say this and did you mean that? And all the words and what have you, all gone. Roman clarifies that what he's saying is that people aren't really going to read. <laughs> this point is They aren't really going to watch anything. Mm-hmm. They just want little morsels, little tasty morsels. And he points to Lawrence from groovy groovy hubs mm-hmm. and Lawrence, Lawrence just has to repeat this because that needs to be part of the world again well I think he knew he knew that if you just say that sentence one more time uh, Roman would would end the blackout that he's in and realize he just said something fucking stupid so he says tasty morsels from groovy hubs yeah at this point I think Roman recovers because he this pitch kind of works this is actually the pitch that you want to make to Lawrence here of where, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he says, like, uh, what does he say? I'm dumb, but I'm smart. Too dumb to know how to fix our whole company. I don't have the attention span. This is probably, like, the most interesting thing that's happened in my whole life. I'm thinking about, like, six other things. But I'm smart enough to know what needs changing. I'm smart enough to know. I'm smart enough to spot the people who can help. Lawrence is what he means here. I don't know that he really comes back from it. I mean, I think all that, I mean, if I was Lawrence, I would just say, okay, well, then you don't, you're going to be COO of this company and you really all your whole sell here is that you think I should help. Like, that's it. Like he didn't offer anything other than saying, I have faith in you to move this company forward. 
He did, but that's actually the kind of pitch to draw Lawrence in, because we already know that Lawrence wants to loot this company and control its vision in the future and get, anything, get everything out of it it can. So presenting him straight up with, you would play a key role in controlling the creative future of this company, that's kind of a thing to entice him with. It's also an open admission that, yeah, I'm an idiot. I get that. That's why I need your help. Let me give you power. That's a, that's a kind of effective marketing pitch for Lawrence. I don't know, man. I don't know, like your potential future boss, would you like to hear them tell you how stupid they are and how great you are? Uh, if he's, if I'm reading this as essentially being that I'll get to be his future boss because of his stupidity, yeah, you know, I got options there. He knows. Lawrence knows he'll never be his boss because he doesn't have the name. Yeah, but if the company starts to fall apart, he can start to loot it wholesale. But the key problem with this conversation is, is that, well, at this point, Kindle interrupts, right? Is that what happens next? Uh, yeah, he does. Uh, Kendall calls and, and Roman says that Lawrence is in. So this is, I think, the second situation um, that you talked about earlier of, you know, Kendall and Roman absolutely misreading what they are hearing from, you know, uh, from Lawrence and um, uh, Stewie, respectively. Because all Lawrence said was, I'm on the side of change. That has nothing to do whether I agree with your plan and I will support you in this endeavor. That is a very philosophical answer to your question that you should interpret in no way that it could possibly threaten you in the future. Yeah, a question for you, though. Is Would you have actually gone after him? Would I have gone like, after Like, would you him? have gone after Lawrence? Because I don't trust Lawrence at all. And I, I, I don't respect his business. I think he has an inflated view of himself. I think he's cocky. And I, I would really have stayed away from this guy. No, uh, if you're not sending Jerry or Frank or somebody else that could actually stand a reasonable chance of, you know, assessing this person and getting a read and maybe even persuade him, then I think it would have been a more effective tactic for them to surprise him with it at the board meeting. Not even tell him. And just go that route. Because that has the hope of flummoxing him and maybe just getting him to commit to you just because he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I really would not. I wouldn't be down with it. All right, we cut back to the very awkward dinner. <sighs> getting getting more awkward by the second, particularly with the next course they're about to eat. Yeah, so Greg is sitting there talking to Tom. He continues, like, throughout this conversation, he continues to pepper, like, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. And he goes, well, you better eat now because you have this super rare, super interesting dish. Now, <laughs> Spencer, did you have any idea that this dish existed? Nope, not a clue. I was happier not knowing. Do you, did you look it up? Nope, didn't have a clue. Still content, not still still content, assuming the show made it up. Okay, uh, so what this is? Oh God, is it's a, a fried. Thing. Yeah, it's real. The French did it, and still, of course, it. the French did it. It's in a, it's a deep fried songbird named Ortolan. It's a little teeny songbird, little cute songbird. You might have it out on your your porch or your deck. What they do is they get it. Um, I, I don't think they kill it. I think they either stun it or they do it live and they deep fry the thing. Live? I, I, I'm doing cursory internet research here. Um, and it's not, not, not right now. I, I did it earlier, but like, it's not quite clear, like how they all do it because it's been illegal for a very long time. So like, it's not like you like have a cookbook with this thing in it. I think it got, it, I think it got, um, outlawed in the seventies in France. But what happens is they deep fry a songbird, however they do it, 
And then you get it and you have a little bird on your plate with bread on it. And they put a towel over their head to actually eat it. And Tom explains they don't know if it's <laughs> the sort of lore of this dish. It's either to hide the shame that you're eating this beautiful, nice creature that was probably killed in inhumane ways, or um, because uh, it's so good you just can't hide. the You want to hide the pleasure that you get from it. Sure. Yep. That. That. Yep. Okay, Tom. We're going with that one. All right. In what world would you try a deep fried songbird? Uh. Well, I'm gonna start with no world. Uh, okay. I'm gonna continue that on to. You just told me it's illegal. You're starting with that point. Uh. So, yeah. even if it had sounded vaguely appealing to start, now you're further dissuading me. So. Uh, folks, we have that on record. Spencer's only problem with eating a deep-fried songbird that was nope. potentially deep-fried live is because it's illegal. You're a man of the law, Spencer. You know, that was my you know emphasis point. It wasn't the whole basis of my position, but I enjoy your summary. Spencer, would you eat Would you eat a fake deep-fried songbird? What, like if chick, the, if chicken the nuggets shaped, shaped if, like one? If, if the Impossible Burger came out with the deep-fried songbird? <laughs> I would... Can I have the whole towel experience too when I eat the fake deep fried sod bird? Oh yeah, you gotta do the towel. You got to do the towel. If you'd like to arrange for New Year's if we have fake deep fried songbirds, they better fucking be fake, but sure, we can do that. Okay. Uh, but I also think about like the people who go to this pop-up who don't know that's a thing, and they just look over and people like have towels over their head as they're did, munching down on something. Did you see people laughing at them as they did that in the background? Oh, no, I didn't. In no. the background of the scene, people are looking at them and laughing. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, anyway, Tom seems to like it. Greg goes along with it. I think he actually eats the whole thing. You eat Apparently, you eat everything but the legs. You kind of hold it by the legs and just chomp. <laughs> I believe his summary is that it's a rather unique flavor, which I can only imagine. Yeah, you're eating it bones and all. It's very weird. Crunchy. Tom orders more wine. And Greg starts to piece together what this dinner is all about. He said, oh, is this about the thing? And Tom says they have a bond. Two outsiders. Which is interesting because, like, Greg is not really an outsider. Like, he actually is part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's actually, it's actually a really good point. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, like, Tom's reaching there. And then Greg levels with him. He says, look, I've already eaten. My granddad was in town. He's in town to vote for this vote of no confidence. Like, he just spills the beans yeah. so casually here. And to your question earlier, does Tom know this is happening? When he had the conversation with Kendall, where Kendall said, hey, Tom, you're on Team Kendall. Tom takes off to make a phone call, multiple phone calls, actually. I don't think Tom knew. No. I think he supported it. I think he's been in support of Kendall over Logan, probably because Logan's, like, pretty cruel to him. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think Tom knew before this moment. I'm not sure, because he, at least he represents that he has details about this. He acts as if... He doesn't, like, ask any Kendall any questions about when he's calling him. He just is, is... The purpose of this call is to inform Kendall about the fact that Ewan is going to vote. Which is, again, either Tom acting pretty quick and acting as if he's in the know, or already being in the know and just providing information that he knows Kendall would like to have. Yeah. Cut back to Shib. She's going back and forth with this guy. I believe his name is Nate. Uh, well, whatever. Mm. You can forget that. He's, an, he's a forgettable character. Talking about which candidates to support, uh, he's flirting. He eventually gets to some line about how, <clears throat> and they go back and forth with some really inane flirting. Not not great writing here. 
And he finally says something like, oh, I understand what it is. You, you want to work on the same cam- campaign because you want to play with me. And Shib, really saying a lot about her history, said, very seriously, I tried playing with you. You, you broke. broke. Which is a cutting line from her. Whew. And, yeah. yeah, this is an uncomfortable, weird scene between these two where they're very obviously flirting. And she's in no way turning him down or rejecting him, really. She's just being playful about it. And, yeah. We're getting really easily, uh, clearly played out why she wasn't adding in a uh, infidelity provision to the prenup. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is this is my theory on Shib, um, and I'm, I'm not the first person to, to posit this, but I think it's right. I think that from a very young age, Shib has been sexually empowered mm-hmm. um, and has been very sexually active. I bet her number is like something crazy, mm-hmm. and I think that she's so comfortable in these situations. Um. You know, like, I mean, most people would be at least a little bit uncomfortable, right? I mean, you got your, your fiancé back in New York, and you're flirting with this guy that you... But she is in her element. She's, she seems more comfortable here than she's ever seemed with Tom. No, no. The, 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 uh, that's a very accurate read on this. That this is like a fish in water. This They're on a couch together. They're discussing not only the future, but actively flirting while he's feeling her up. And she has not a single qualm about this. The slightest edge of a hint of limit that she has is that she doesn't want to sleep with him. Or at least is representing that we shouldn't, because wouldn't it be better if we woke up and it felt like good people? Yeah, well, it's not. They're not quite on the couch yet. I think they're still at the bar. Okay, they'll get there. They'll get there. But what's interesting to me is that she can say the line, I tried playing with you, you broke, yeah. and the night didn't end. Because that signals to me that like he had a pretty negative reaction from their, uh, you know, their relationship. Yeah, but he's back again. Back at that well, cut to Kendall. He's going to dinner with Logan at Logan's apartment. Um, he calls Frank here. <laughs> uh, I'm hesitating with this call because this is the one severe moment of weakness. Um, no, 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 sorry. I, I think I got this off, Donna. Uh, actually, where, are we, where, where are we at? Get your damn notes out, Spencer. Uh, Give me some help. Okay. Get off the bench. Once we've done the uh, call between Tom and Kendall, I think... I think he arrives at his day at the his day at the he party. does tom calls kendall kendall jumps into a bath thank you for getting me this was insist there he jumps into a bathroom and tom explains hey look you win in town because of the voter no confidence he knows kendall says who's the source great moment from tom here he goes i can't reveal my source but it's cousin greg <laughs> <laughs> uh tom reiter- reiterates he's on team kendall and then Tom goes back uh, to the uh, to the table there with Greg, really starts mixing his metaphors. The troops are taking Saddam's palace. I could be like the third most important guy in the company. Uh, it's that's... the storming of the Bastille. Let us eat cake. He's, he's, he's mixing his metaphors there to a certain degree. Um, but uh, <laughs> also really optimistic uh, when he's trying to think that he'll be the third most important guy in the company come this coup. Yeah, come on, Tom. And it, I think he did the math. He was like, Kindle Roman me? Like, what? In that, what world is that the case? That was his thought, clearly. Uh, you're not even on the board, damn it. No. Uh, when he says these, you know, metaphors, uh, Greg is laughing and then goes, I don't know what we're talking about. Uh, Kindle takes a pill. Did you notice that? I did. But we know what that is. It didn't look like it was like narcotics. It looked like it was something that was prescribed to him. But don't know what that is. Narcotics can be... Prescribed to you. So. I, did, I didn't interpret it either as, as a, as a painkiller that was prescribed to him either. I thought I almost thought it was almost like an antacid or something. 
at that level of wealth, it could have been prescribed to him just for fun. No, I actually, I think with the history that we know of Kendall, I think we're meant to think that is something to calm him down. This yeah. is a, this is a fucked up situation. He just found out that at least Ewan knows. He doesn't know if Logan knows now because Ewan could have easily told Logan. Mm -hmm. And I mean, fucking cousin Greg knows. Like the secret is out. Yeah. So I think he took something to take the edge off. Comes out to meet his dad. <laughs> great, great moment here by Logan. Top three Logan moment. Is he eating the steamed fish, Spencer? No. Logan orders burgers. He's got burgers and fries. <laughs> of course he does. Sitting there and he's watching basketball. Mm -hmm. uh, did you know he was watching basketball from the, the sound? I uh, It was one of the options I considered. It's <laughs> a, a hard no. Yeah, you, you can tell because of the sort of squeak of the sneakers. Oh, so okay. He's watching basketball. He's eating a hamburger. I mean, Logan's living my best life right now. And he says, uh, Kendall comes in and says, you shouldn't eat this shit. <laughs> Logan, you're not the boss of me. Kendall mentions that Marsha told him that Logan wanted to talk to him. Oh, great moment here. Logan says, Marsha, oh, she's got her own game going. Logan clarifies that everyone has their own game going. Mm -hmm. Marsha, you, Kendall, you have your own game going. I have my game. Then Logan asks if Kendall's heard about if he was snubbed or not. <laughs> he really is stuck on this thing that happened at the White House. Mm-hmm. Kindle then points out, as you referenced earlier, well, there was some security alert, but it's kind of hard to read. Uh, Logan then asks if he's going to eat the burger, and Kindle says yes, and Logan seems proud. Oh, good. All right, let's sit here and watch basketball eat hamburger. Then Logan starts screaming at the TV um, while eating, again, while eating a hamburger in a very rich house. This is a, whew, this is a, this is a pipe dream for me, man. Yeah, I mean, this is this is everything you want to aspire to. I mean, you know, you know ignore, ignore Tom eating songbirds. This is your idea of what Rich is going to allow you to do. Fuck, yeah. Big-ass apartment in Manhattan, and I'm watching basketball and eating a burger. This is nice. Oh, yeah, and you got to Greg and... Go ahead. And you got to imagine those are good burgers. Fine. Uh, well, I can't... I don't know. Yeah, it goes one of two ways, right? It's either like a real world-class burger, or he's just like, just go to fucking like Shake Shack. You know, I, I thought of that when I said it. I was like, no, this probably is just comfort food burgers that Logan just said, yeah, it doesn't matter. I want a burger. Um, I think Logan's doing the Trump thing. Yeah. It, it, what do we interpret this thing? Is this just Logan honestly just want to invite his son over to watch a game? No, I think Marsha invited um, Kendall over. Mm -hmm. I think Marsha told Logan that Kendall was coming. I don't think there was like a lot of asking. Yeah. And I think Logan said, okay, well, then get two burgers to whoever he's yeah. paid to go get him burgers and not tell Marsha. And then when Kendall gets there... I think that Logan's just talking to him. I mean, yeah. he doesn't seem to have an agenda here. I mean, he's still, I mean, he's, he's hung up on the White House thing. If he thought there was a potential for a vote of no confidence, he would have been way more invested in this conversation than just yelling at the TV. Yeah, probably so. I, I, it makes for an honestly kind of sweet moment between the two is they just honestly have a bit of a pleasant conversation to enjoy a burger in a game, which is probably the last pleasant moment the two are ever going to share together based on what happens further in this episode. Ooh, seriously. Cut to Greg and Tom at a club. <laughs> uh, Greg, oh man, JV move here. He asks if he should get beers. Tom goes, no, 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 bottle service. And he makes a crack about how stupid expensive bottle service is. Spencer, what do you know about bottle service? Uh, nothing. I have never experienced bottle service. My concept of bottle service is watching it on shows like this. What do you think it is? You order bottles of alcohol at an expensive club in the VIP kind of section, and that's about all I got. All right, I'm going to explain to you what it is, and I'm going to tell you a funny story. Okay. Um, so what it is, is you you do get a VIP section. You usually get, like, a couch and a table, 
and they bring you, you order, the, you're ordering a bottle. So you're saying, I'll take a bottle of Grey Goose, say. That's a very popular one. Sure. Grey Goose, a fifth of Grey Goose in a um, liquor store around here is about maybe 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. They, they may charge you seven, $800 for this bottle. And then they bring you all the possible mixers and a bunch of glasses and everybody sits around you, mixture and drink and you go. This is essentially what bottle service is. Levi and I, one time, friend from uh, Whiskey and the Weekends, we were in Charlotte watching a basketball game. We went out to a bar later and we got co-opted by this very drunk rich guy who took us in the back for bottle service. And we actually had a moment where we asked the guy, can we get drinks? And he said to us, oh, no, 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 we're doing bottle service. the same shit. Where Levi and I were Greg, we were like, well, we're going to be nice and like get drinks. I was like, no, 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 that's, please don't say that again. We're back here with bottle service. I don't get the point. Is the point just because it's a wealthy thing to do? It seems wasteful. (laughs) There's two things. That's a pretty big Venn diagram there. No, it's, uh, (laughs) I think that the the thing is, I hope Levi's okay with me telling this story, but that was a crazy night because this guy was just like, yeah, come sit with us. And we were like, how much is that? And he pulls out like a black credit card and we're like, okay, oh don't ask. Um, but yeah, like it, um, I think the point is you're displaying your wealth. Yeah. I think that there is a level of, it, let's, let's take the wealth out of it. It's how I would like to drink. Cause at least then you have your refill bottle there. You can do all kinds of mixing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But you're paying quite a surcharge for them to make that, make that experience easier for you. I think you're also paying for the space. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, that, that's the only time I've ever actually had it. I've seen it a lot. I've seen it in Vegas a few times. Um, but that's what they're doing. He's teaching Greg bottle service. And apparently for this particular club, it's $2,000 each. Whew, that sounds about right. <laughs> Kendall leaves in the car. Uh, and well, he's in the car and he calls Frank. Oh, uh, something else? Uh, just also, again, just to add to the experience, they're drinking, they're drinking alcohol with gold leaf in it. Which is, again... They are just being the most nouveau rich people they possibly can. Dude, I loathe when people put gold leaf on anything. There's a big thing of like putting gold leaf on fried chicken. You know, I don't want your toxic seasoning on my food. Thank you very much. Isn't that fucking reprehensible? I mean, fried chicken is so good. You're going to put gold on it, you dummy. (laughs) Kendall leaves and he calls Frank. Or he leaves in the car with Frank. Mm Mm-hmm. I know he calls Frank. Yeah, yeah. Calls I mean, Kendall Frank. says he's gonna. Yeah, yeah. He says he's gonna call Carlita to make sure Alona, who is a board member, um, isn't coming tomorrow. I think Carlita is the daughter of Alona. Mm-hmm. Frank cautions him that that might stir up some shit, but Kendall forges ahead. Now, when you were watching this the first time, Spencer, did you think this was a terrible idea, like I did? Uh, the moment Frank tells you that it's a bad idea to do something, I'm committed that Frank's probably right, and I shouldn't do that thing. I thought it was an awful idea. I was like. That is so obvious what you're doing. Like, oh, yeah, just making sure you're not coming tomorrow. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not a courtesy. If you've done this courtesy call before four or five times, then maybe okay. But you've never done this before. It's so sketchy. So essentially, they were working into the idea that not that she was voting in their favor, but that she wasn't going to vote. That she was going to right. be a no vote. Or a, a, a non-vote. And now, and then he calls Carlita, and he's yeah, they have some pleasantries. He says, well, just making sure she's not coming tomorrow. Carlina says, I got to go. Bye. <laughs> yeah. It was an interesting little conversation because they almost like, they almost suggested that the two of them had been together in the past in some way, or at least I think they did because yeah, she seems legitimately happy to hear from him. It's like, it's like, it's nice to hear your voice. Yep. 
And then the moment he starts to cut to checking on her mom, she realizes why he's actually calling and the conversation stops. Yep. She cuts it off right there. And that's when you know it was a mistake. So now, now you've introduced yet another variable. Yeah. You've got Ewan. You don't know why, what he's going to do. Um, and now you've got Alona who, is she going to show up? Is she not? You don't know. Because mm. now you have just tipped your hand. Cut the shib. And now this is the scene you were talking about. She's in the some living room area. Yeah. Um, I assumed this was just a massive hotel room. Yeah, that was my guess. Uh, I don't think she's getting Airbnb. <laughs> Trim, uh, Shib tries to say that Tom is great. <laughs> Nate, good line here from Nate. Yeah, you're convincing me. It's the weary repetition. <laughs> yeah. and Not good. Yeah, apparently he's getting married too and has similarly dismissive ways of referring to his spouse. Yeah, and yeah, these two aren't true romantics, I don't think, but the sexual tension is very high. Um, Spencer, did you think these guys were actually going to hook up? I did think they were going to hook up. I was almost convinced they were going to hook up. I was very surprised when they didn't hook up. They may have been surprised, too, that they didn't hook up. I think at a minimum, Nate was surprised. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, he keeps pushing the issue, and she finally says the line that you referenced earlier. Wouldn't it be nice to wake up in the morning and not feel like a fucking piece of shit? Yeah. Do you say that to yourself every, every night, like in the mirror? You know, I'm thinking hard right now. I don't think I've ever had to say that line to myself. On the other hand, I think Shiv says that to herself a lot. I think it's like her nightly prayer. <laughs> God, but she, again, like, as I talked about, like, she seems so in her element, so much more comfortable here than with her brothers, her dad, or with her fiancé. Yeah. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Uh, shot of Frank getting into the car. This is the day of, Spencer. We're here. Yep. Uh, ship comes out of the room nate is on the couch they did not do it underdog here a little bit of a upset and nate pushes for ship to meet gil he seems very convinced in gil like i mean he he's a pretty you know sort of callous uh uncaring person it seems but for some reason he really does believe in gil or at least that's the impression i get what do you think yeah i mean his decade gill seems like much more of a a less safe candidate i think we interpret him as more of a bernie sanders kind of stand in um, and he seems like he is the. Sure looks like him. I don't, I don't know if we've physically seen him. I, I don't know. I just don't remember physically seeing him. But um, it seems like that Nate is legitimately dedicated to him in a way that Shiv probably doesn't get. I don't know if Shiv's really honestly dedicated to. Well, particularly not any political candidate. Maybe not anything. But Nate, as much as he matches Shiv in this regard, seems like this is actually a cause he believes in. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a weird thing for Nate. And I think it's throwing Shib off a little bit. She doesn't really know what to do. Um, then we have Shib, which is a very memeable moment here. Um, she looks at Nate and says, we behaved ourselves. They're going to write songs about how good we are. <laughs> yeah, sure they will. Cut to Kendall. He's in a limo with Frank. They're on the way. He gets a call from Alona. She's pieced together uh, that he doesn't want her at the board meeting. And she insists that she's going to call in. Yep. Things are already starting to go south for Plan Kendall. Not good. What do you think of this move here where Kendall says, okay, I have to go talk to her? I don't, I don't think he has a reasonable choice right now. The fact This has disturbed the plans in a way that he has to control, and he feels like he has to be there personally to control it. And I don't think that's a wrong call. And I don't think it necessarily was going to blow up in his face other than the events outside of his control playing out as they did. And it, I think it was a brilliant move. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not been anything close to brilliant up till here, but I think he knows. I think she's going to be pissed when this pops off and she wasn't told about it. 
nobody has lobbied her, reasoned with her about it. Uh, that's offensive to her. She's going to vote for Logan. I got to get out there and handhold her. We, we get several moves from Kendall here that show that, you know, we like to write him off, but he's not dumb and he's really tried hard on this. And he's really done what he could to make this work. This is the first I, of them. And it's a big one. See, I agree. We see him fly out there and handhold her, walk her through it, and he gets her vote from what he does. Damn, Spencer, reading fucking way ahead of my notes here. Yeah, but it's important. I'm, I was legitimately, again, I was impressed how much I was committed to Kendall as this plan starts to go into motion. But this guy impressed me. He did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ketchup on the burrito aside, I mean... <laughs> Shoot the bad candle every once in a while he comes through, and he certainly did here. Because uh, he does. He goes out to speak with her. He takes off uh, in the car after dropping Frank off, and he goes to a helicopter pad. God, this family. Yeah. To go to Long Island. Kendall lands. He speaks with her. Cut to Roman in a car. Kendall leaves. He's told by the helicopter pilot they can't leave because it's a no-fly zone. Kendall, um, real rich guy moment here. He's like, uh, yeah, so what do we have to do here to get around this? Like, what? what is it? Like, do I pay you? Do I call the uh, FAA? Or who do I call? The guy's like, well, if we leave now, we could be shot down by an F-16. <laughs> Kendall, still rich guy moment. Yeah, but not really, right? And the guy's like, yeah, like a, like really. <laughs> I love that, I love this response. This is the same response he had to the loan guy. Where the loan guy says, well, you know, in the event you go into default, we'll move to collect. To which Kendall says, well, what are you really going to do? <laughs> same response yeah. as that, the idea of being shot down by an F-16. <laughs> yeah, Kendall doesn't like an answer. He's just like, uh, can I have another one? Yeah, please. Yeah, um... Kendall then runs down the car, gets in, and takes off. Cut to Raystar headquarters, and Roman is walking in. Uh, great moment here. He suggests they do a round of shots to Stewie. Stewie says, line them up. Mm-hmm. Goes to Lawrence and asks if they're good. Lawrence gives a very soft yes. It's the first, I think, outright lie that Lawrence gives Roman. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. I mean, maybe at this point he's still planning on a very soft yes. Yeah. But he does tell him, yeah, we're good. We're going to debate this when we get there. But. I think this scene could have played out a lot differently if Kendall had been in the room, and that includes with respect to Lawrence and Stewie. We'll get there, though. Lawrence points out that Logan always starts on time, apparently even when he was once airlifted from Aspen with a broken femur. So they're really driving home here. This meeting's going to start on time. Yeah. And their key participant is not present. Cut to Kendall. He calls Jerry. He's in a tunnel. She can't really hear him, but he's trying to tell her he's stuck in traffic. Ask her to stall. Here's where you start to see that Kendall not being in the room is going to panic everybody because Jerry then turns to Frank and goes, fuck, 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 he's not here. We got to stall. We got to stall. We have to stall. Yeah. Uh, Logan walks in. They sit down. Frank tries said stalling. (laughs) He tries. He tries. He asks for a late start so that Kendall can get there. And uh, house words modified a little bit here from Logan. Fuck that. Uh, so he's not going to deal with that. He's not going to do uh, a delay. So Frank goes to plan B, which is to delay. He tries a roll call, which we've clearly never done before. Logan is like conf- like more confused than anything. Like, mm. what are you, why are we doing a roll call? Frank's like, we're doing one. We're doing it. They do a roll call. During the roll call, we see that Alona is not there. Mm-hmm. Frank is going super slowly. Ask if people have questions about the agenda. He says he has some thoughts. And Logan's like, what thoughts? And Frank's like, well, give me a second, Logan. I'll tell you. He's doing everything he can. And then in walks Ewan. Mm-hmm. Very interesting here. Because if if they could have gotten Kendall on the phone and done the vote, I don't know, in say 30, 45 seconds, they may have won, right? Because Ewan comes in late. And he comes in late, very funny, because they wouldn't let him in without his passport. This is how 
infrequently he comes to these damn meetings. <laughs> yeah. Every, uh, there is so much about this plan that is so rapidly falling apart. This was a good plan that is just dying on impact. Yeah. Um, first hint, I think, for Logan that something is seriously going wrong here. It's not just like people being weird. Is you and then looks at Frank and says, has it started? And that's where Logan's like, oh, shit. All right, something's going on here. Cut to Kendall. He's running through traffic. He gets out of the tunnel. He calls Roman. Asked to be put on to the speaker, to be put into the, the meeting. So he's now present. He's not absent anymore. He's on the call. Um, and uh, <laughs> I just love this scene of Kendall running through traffic, like mm-hmm. talking. Like, And actually, like to your point, like he kind of comes through here in this moment. Because I don't think I could have like been running full speed and actually get out the lines that he's about to get out here. It's pretty no, impressive. No, and it's a good speech. And I think he honestly wrote this speech himself. It is very heartfelt. It is very much hitting the notes that he has to both to persuade people and also to satisfy shareholder concerns going forward. It's a good speech. And he's doing this at full sprint through New York traffic in the middle of a terrorist incident. Kudos to but, Kendall. But yet another moment where it could have potentially been helpful for him um, the agenda item where they're going to bring up this voter no confidence is called performance issues and Jerry and Frank agree to drop it for the next time but as soon as they agree to do that Kendall gets patched in and pushes the issue yeah. now when he gets patched in he gets patched in with Alona this is their first indication that Kendall was successful in his trip out to Long Island yeah and again there's so many ways this could have worked out better if they delayed until Kendall got there if they hedged if they'd stopped it now until the next meeting any of this could have played out better I don't honestly believe they could have stopped it, though. There's too many moving parts at this point. They're committed. And they're the person they most need in this room is still running through the middle of a uh, lockdown New York to get there in time. Logan is now fully freaking out. He knows something serious is up, and Kendall's asked where, asked where they're at. Uh, Frank says they're at his item, performance issues, and Frank asks if they want him to wait. For, Logan says, no, we're not going to wait. We're going to move on past your, your item. Um... Frank then asks about halting proceedings, uh, and Logan says no. Kendall says, okay, fine, I have to do it. Let's do it. Here's the speech from Kendall. I've got it. I'm sorry it's long, but it's really good. Yeah. Look, he's doing this as he's running through traffic. Look, yeah, I love speed. my father, okay? My father's a legend. I worship the ground he walks on. Nothing will ever detract from what he's built and what he's done, but he is currently unfit to run this company. Not only because of his refusal to take the time to recover from serious health issues, but because every day he refuses to retire. He is one day closer to destroying his own legacy. He took on levels of debt that threatened the very existence of our firm. He is lining up deadweight acquisitions in a sector that has a he has a historic regard for, but for which is a non-growth area. He face uh, we face existential battles in scale, and he is facing precisely the wrong direction. He is making decisions for a future that he no longer understands, and we don't have time for missteps. What used to take two, ten, ten two, three years, our entire I, ice cap will melt. He is gambling our last dollars at the track on a horse that's ready for the glue factory, and I am calling for a vote of no confidence as, as in him as CEO and chairman. Woo! That's a really good speech. That is hitting all the notes he needs to do, and he does it well, again, at a full tilt sprint. Did you notice Logan flare with anger when Kendall mentioned the debt? Yes, that was something he never wanted out right there. Did not like that. Frank asked him to leave the room, apparently, and I looked this up, apparently when there's a vote of no confidence and, uh, and the president or CEO of a company uh, by a board, they do have to leave the room. 
They do. That's like law. Like for publicly traded companies, they're supposed and to do that. That's a big deal that Logan doesn't. And uh, I have thoughts of what the future of that could bring. But Logan, Interesting. Logan's smart. He knows the law. He knows he's not allowed to be there. And he immediately tries to offer an explanation for why he is. That, I'm sick. I can't leave. Yes. And that's not much of an excuse, but he clearly recognizes that he knows that he's not supposed to be there. He knows the law and he's trying to find a viable reason for why he could be acceptable from remain because he knows he has to be here, particularly because Ken, particularly the Ken, uh, given the fact that Kendall isn't. Kendall keeps asking if Logan is in the room. Yeah. And this is like he's in a panicked way. And this is an indication that he understands. I'm probably not going to win this out here on a street corner with Logan in the room. We have to get him out of there. Mm hmm. Frank says, uh, let the minutes reflect that Logan refused to leave the room. To your point, maybe this comes up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, great line from Logan here. Let the minutes reflect Logan shoved his boot up Frank's ass. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I think he's aware that Frank is a vote against him. Um, so they start voting. And Kendall says, his hand is up. So there's one vote. Then Frank, in a very aggressive manner, lifts his hand. And then Asha lifts her hand. And he says, Asha, I see you. I see you, Logan. A little telling moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Kendall then starts calling out people that he thinks are going to vote for him. He calls for Stewie. Stewie says that, you know, I don't think there's any clarity here. I think this is a family matter. And he abstains, which is exactly what he told Kendall he was going to do. Yeah. And again, I think if Kendall had been in the room, that, that was, the only chance they had of Stewie or Lawrence backing this is if Kendall had been in the room to actually serve as a rallying face in contrast to Logan. The fact he's not there, he's going to do exactly what's in his interest, which is nothing. I think they would have needed to be way up before. Like, I think he called on the wrong folks. Like, I don't think you call on Stewie that early. He always has too much faith in his relationship with Stewie. Yeah, he does. I think you lock Roman in there. If you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. We'll see that one. That's what I would have tried to do anyway. I'd have been like, let's get the sure votes out of the way and go into the votes that are on the fence with as big a lead as we can. Yeah, they kind of just go down the row, which is not the way they should have done this. <laughs> Should have done a hand vote right now, right then. Well, they tried to, but nobody lifted their hand. Yeah. Um, anyway, we wait. Uh, anyway, at this point, we're at four to two. Cut to Ewan. Now, Logan seems to think he's dead here. He's like, this fucker stayed here just to do this. I'm already down four to two. If he goes five to two, I'm, I'm dead. Yeah, can't win. Ewan says, I vote with Logan. And Logan seems shocked. Like, he doesn't even, like, for the first time in this entire scene, and the only time in this entire scene, he's speechless. Yeah, this, he has, he had no concept of this. He doesn't know how to even interpret it. He does not understand it. This is something he's going to have to unpack later to get why Ewan just did this. Yeah. That's who goes with Logan. Now, it's four against four. At least that's my read on it. Are you still at four against four? Uh, yeah. Okay. Cuts to Roman. <laughs> Uh, Kendall asks for Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence abstains. He does the same thing. He says, look, I, I have no dog in this fight. I'm out. Kendall's in the building now, and he says, Jerry, would you say something? Um, in the most Jerry move ever, and we were texting about this the other day, you could see this coming a mile away. Yeah. Jerry's looking at this and going, this is going off the rails. I'm not making any, any, any enemies. I, uh, I think it would be inappropriate for me to offer comment. Yeah, and I love Frank's comment on that. Uh, thanks. Very professional. Yeah, yeah. I'm already on the rails here, and you just backed off. So we know Jerry's going to survive no matter what happens. If Jerry had spoken up, I mean, there's a lot of different things about why we Kendall could still win this. But if Jerry had spoken up, I think that might have been enough to get Roman to, give, to vote. Because Jerry, Jerry seemed to have a bit of a power over Roman, too. 
Yeah, I agree. I think if she did, but when she did that, it really starts to crumble for Roman. And then Kendall, for the first time, this entire process just kind of stops and goes, oh shit, I think this might be over. He calls on Roman to put his hand up. Yeah. Roman seems like he wants absolutely no part of this. It's like, you know, this is like the look you're getting from Roman. It's like, like a rookie on the free throw line. He's been fouled down one. He's got two shots. Yeah. And the and there's like two seconds left in the game. It's like, I really don't want to be here. He looks so uncomfortable. He again asks Roman to put his hands up. Uh, and Logan prompts uh, Roman to vote. And Roman tries. His hand starts to go up. You better be smelling your fucking armpit, Romulus. Roman, um, I think it's a tough one. You know, I think it, uh, us, uh, it's tough, but but maybe. And Ro- Roman for me. <laughs> Roman then relents and says, I vote Logan. Yeah. Uh, Logan then explains it's deadlocked. How is it deadlocked here, Spencer? I thought he won outright. Well, Roman kind of says, I vote for Logan. Frank protests, and to which Roman just to which Logan just says, well, it doesn't matter. The only way you could have won this is if Roman voted in your favor. If he abstains, I'm chairman. I get the controlling vote. Yep, he votes against. And he wins. Kendall enters the room, uh, doesn't know what happens, and Logan looks at him and says, My son, that was your best shot. You lost. You come Kendall the- then announces, or Logan then announces, Kendall, Frank, Asha, Alona, off the board, fired with immediate effect. He barks a thank you to Alona and says, Good luck with your cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah. He tells everybody to get the fuck out. Logan then screams, what the fuck am I going to do to you to Roman? So it's very clear to Logan that Roman was in on this scheme, but just did not have the guts to go through with it, which I think actually makes him respect Roman less. Yeah. I honestly think that when they're done with this, he's really, really mad at Kendall, but he respects Kendall way much more than uh, Roman. I think he honestly respects the various members of this conspiracy to a certain degree. He's firing them. He has no choice in that matter. But he's even vaguely respectful, like, for Frank. And It was interesting, because when Frank voted against him, Logan seemed hurt in a way he didn't seem with the other people. For even, like I said, Frank. But when Frank's, you know, protesting this moment, he basically just says, take it like a man, and just writes it off there. I agree with you that the fact that Roman the worm collapsed under his dad's eye just fully encapsulates his view of his son right now, that you are worthless. You couldn't even back the coup you'd support. Roman could have did him in, but he didn't have the guts to do it. Spencer, what does that make you think of Roman? Uh, That he's a useless little worm. (laughs) You texted me earlier in the week and you were like, fucking Roman. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) He could have won. He had the power in his hands to win. But the force of his dad's will and the weakness of his carrier of his character conspire together that everything they aspired to collapses right then and there. Uh, and it's interesting because Logan's pissed, but he's, you know, signing off all these people saying, my best regards to your cancer. But his summary of this is to yell at them, I'm in the middle of turning a fucking tanker. I get yep. this. I know that there are problems. I know that we're behind. I'm doing that, you impatient bastards. Yeah, and I believe him, but I think that his flawed management style is that he doesn't let enough people in on his thinking. So, you know, when you don't do that, you know, conversations can happen that you're not aware of where people start to question your strategy and you are not supplying them with information to fight back on that gossip. And so I think that's why this got a little bit more pervasive than he was expecting. And it got much closer. I think it got much closer to him 
being removed, or at least the vote of no confidence going through, than he ever expected. Hey, but if you come at the king, you best not miss. And, Woo! You know, it's one of those things where you talk about how a team should be run. Logan doesn't run a team. Logan's a despot. Logan is running this corporation like a dictatorship. He's, ba- he's basically of the mindset that I know what to do. I am a figure that radiates a certain degree of aspirational following. Follow me. Believe in me. But don't question me. Don't ask to be brought in. Orders are coming from on high, and the best you can do to, w- to win with me is to follow them unquestioningly. Yeah, you know, and maybe he shouldn't have gone public. <laughs> <laughs> it got him more money. Uh, cut the ship. Uh, oh, no, no, no. We, we have Kendall. He's being escorted out by security. And when he tries to go to his office and he can't, everyone immediately starts leaking the information. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. They start immediately Oh, shit. He got fired. Yeah, but God, Kendall's face kills me here. He's just broken. This he's The actor's such a great job with his facial expressions here of where he's just collapsing as a person. Of where he did not really want to do this to his dad. He wanted the, he wanted the coup. He wanted the power. He has his own self-interest, but he didn't really want to do this to his dad. And now that he's failed and his dad has cast him off because of that failure, he's crushed. He's broken as a person. It's just, it's heartrending to honestly see this. Again, it's like Kendall's living a Linkin Park song right now. He tried so hard. He came so far. And in the end, it didn't even matter. Whoa. (laughs) Holy shit. Spencer with a Lincoln Park reference. Look out, everybody. Uh, oh, I'm oh here. My God. I, I, I don't even know when that song came out. Probably way too long ago now. Well, yeah, but you listened to it yesterday, so that's why. You know, uh, the pictures of me and my eyeliner face hasn't actually gone public, and I'm not exactly, I'm not saying I'm trying to bury them, but I'm not going to disclose them either. Oh, uh, you were wearing the, you were a little, little Beto O'Rourke, you were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cut the shib. She comes home, and Tom is hungover. And he's working from home. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. I think everybody who's ever worked at a corporation knows that move. Mm. Ship gets a call about the vote of no confidence. Tom asks, did it happen? Oh, well, he tipped his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, she just yells, oh, fuck. No, the world is blown up. Oh, fuck. What do you mean has it happened? Wait a second. What yeah. do you mean that? Did you know? Tom keeps saying, is it happened? Has it happened? Ship calls Connor. Uh, who's out in some fucking bumfuck ranch, and he... Um, he apparently knows. Yeah, he knows. He explains what happened. Um, he explains that, you know, Kendall led a voter no confidence. He failed, that, you know, uh, Logan has fired everybody who voted against him, and that Roman knew. Because Shib's like, who knew? Because she's... I think her ego's taken over here. She's like, why didn't I know about this? And he says, uh, well, Roman knew. Meanwhile, Greg walks down. We didn't know Greg was in the, in the building. <laughs> and he says... Too much albagool hurt his tummy. What is albagool? Nothing. He's mispronouncing, I think, the uh, the, the songbird. Gotcha. Yeah, just Google albagool is nothing. <laughs> right on character. Kib, Shib freaks out on Tom, uh, and he explains, I tried to call you. And she's like, not hard enough. Well, she really does not have a leg to stand on here, like no. at all. Because she was literally canoodling on a couch with a guy she was considering screwing. When he was trying to tell her, this is what's going on. God knows I mean, something. He tried to call her. I'm sure it was a mini. Mm-hmm. But she just wasn't answering. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but she uh, she says she'll deal with him later. And she, she has a good explanation of what the, of the firing. She says the rebels are being shot in the town square. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And yeah, effectively they all are. Cut to Logan. And the president calls. So this indicates to me that he did not talk to the alternative face. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he waited to the president call. President does call him. And he waits um, again. Makes him wait. President sits on the line. He waits a good, what, eight, eight ten seconds? Uh, well, the secretary's just staring at him the entire time. Then he picks it up. Oh, Mr. President, how are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the episode. Uh, well, I love the line here from Logan. Might if I just say it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, where we, we only hear a side of the conversation of, oh, Mr. President, oh, much better, much better. Oh, no need for an apology. Well, you really had a terrorist problem. I've just taken down a terrorist myself. My son. <laughs> oh, that's a powerful line. Can you imagine that the president's reacting in that moment to hear that? I, I kind of feel bad for the president. I'm kind of be like, yeah, not really trying to have a personal conversation with you. Yeah, but <laughs> This is really a business call. But that's a power move right there. It's just really framing the relative power of this conversation if it wasn't clear already. It's just that, oh, you know... I'm calling to ask you for a favor, and just so you understand my level of willingness to end you, I just ended my own son for a showing of disloyalty. So, about that FCC red tape. See, this is where I disagree with you here, because if I was the president, I would have been like, okay, so I just dealt with, like, national security, potentially thousands of people dying. Mm Mm-hmm. You dealt with a vote of no confidence. Like, you are actually small potatoes, Logan. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I don't think that terrorist event is going to in any way threaten him the ability that Logan can. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right, that's it. We did not get this segment of Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Spencer, do you want to off- proffer something about Shib's shit show of a girlfriend do i um, do i really need to i mean is there any debate in our minds that this is not what you really want to do if you want to be in a healthy relationship Uh, particularly one you're about you're about to get married it's just no i i I offer no additional commentary beyond what we've already said nothing else needs to be said about those scenes yeah yeah the ship stuff this episode uh is not great okay we want to go to roman line of the episode uh yeah for me when he calls her out as lady macbeth when he calls jerry out as lady macbeth line of the episode there i love that line it's a it, it's the first indication that we have that yeah look roman's a doofus and he's a weird doofus but he's a well-read doofus and he can do appropriate lines at appropriate times with the best of them it's not bertrand russell but you know it's in yeah i agree roman line of the episode is lady macbeth get your little fucking screwdriver in <laughs> it's a good line also his line about you know working off the uh, oedipus thing also good too very good uh and now we move to our final segment i think the most obvious segment or a- answer to any segment we may have ever had on any episode yeah that me and you have ever done of any podcast and this is roy of the episode spencer tell the people who the roy of the episode is let's say it at the same time three one. two one logan logan God. Logan is the Roy of the episode. He gets a big win here. He survives the vote of no confidence. He punks a president. Uh, and he is positioned to uh, move forward with this acquisition of local TV. And, and we get enough insight to think that maybe he knows what he's doing. Now, we've seen the power of Sinclair Broadcasting in the real world when they did this. I can only imagine what Logan might be capable of with it. Yeah, so I have a story for you that um, this actor gave on Stephen Colbert. Because I know everybody's not going to go look at the clip. So I'm just going to tell you a story. Sure. Uh, this guy uh, who plays Logan, he said he's at a coffee shop in London. And he's sitting there. Apparently it's near his house and it's one that he goes to a lot. So it's like not... He's not like a celebrity there, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like sometimes famous people go out to a place and 
it becomes very apparent that like they've never been there before because people are freaking out. He, he says he feels very at home in this place, but then somebody does say, Hey, you, I like your show. He's like, this is a little weird, right? Because like, this is his cafe. He says, well, thank you. I'm glad you like it. He goes, no, 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 I, I do. I really like it. And he goes, okay, I thanks. I believe you. He goes, yeah, but what? You, uh, my wife likes it too. What? He goes, yeah, yeah, my wife likes it. Where are you going uh, with this? Um, but what you do with that character? I mean, take it easy. And he's like, what? What do you mean? And he talks to the guy a little bit longer. He finds out the man is married to Elizabeth Murdoch. Oh, yeah. All right. And then he finds out that Elizabeth Murdoch um, actually watches the show. She knows she's Shiv Roy uh, and she doesn't hate it, but wants him to be careful. Well, I don't think he imagined he was going to have that conversation anytime soon. Yeah. Such a great story. Uh, but it, it really just shows. Um, the show exactly is on what, the nose. Absolutely. The show is, is nailing it. The people that they're talking about know that they're talking about them. I have enjoyed this episode. Episode six. We have one more episode until we get to episode eight. Which is the one I just can't wait to get to. That is Tom's Bachelor Party. That's going to be so much fun. I've mentioned it on multiple podcasts up to this point. But my God, that's going to be a big one. We're going to need to really set aside some time for that. Spencer, anything else you want to talk about this episode, the series, or Magnum Talks TV before we go? Again, I was not expecting as we've been going through the show that I would be legitimately impressed and feel bad for Kendall in the course of the same episode. But I did. He tried really hard. He he put in the legwork necessary to make this a close call. And were it not for a literal terrorist incident interfering with his ability to be there, it would have worked. He got very close to taking out the king. And instead, he's utterly failed. I don't know completely. The trailer for the next episode and my knowledge of the law and the breach that Logan just engaged in indicate he may have a potential lawsuit at play that could cause a hell of a lot of headache going forward, but that is a subject to debate at another time. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, R.I.P. Kendall. Um, good, good job firing the shot, but you did in fact lose. Spencer enjoyed it. Let's do episode six or episode seven again soon. Looking forward to it. All right, man. See you.